CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to the Canadian Football Countdown two-hour mid-season review special here on Mike FM Winnipeg. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and at the top of the show, we're pleased to be joined by writer and director of digital content for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mr. Ed Tate. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks for having me on, fellas. I mean, Ed, uh, first question... Uh... Before we kind of get into the season and the weekend and the Labor Day and all that kind of stuff, um, you originally uh, you had a background before, obviously joining the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, a longtime sports writer, of course, for the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, just recently, a couple years ago, uh, moved into your new role with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I'm just wondering how, if at all, I know you covered the team with the Free Press and. And now you're with the Bombers. I'm just wondering, I guess, how your role has changed or how it's been the same since the transition over from newspaper. That's a good question. I get that a lot, guys. It's um, it's, it's been an interesting transition. I've, I've loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I don't want to get into why I left the, the newspaper industry. I think that, you know, a lot of people see what's happening from in that business side and the chance to come over and be sort of uh, have a real hands-on feel to how things are covered and how we do things has been really a lot of fun for me. You know, I, I tell people, and a lot of people seem to roll their eyes at this, but I haven't changed a whole lot from what I do. When the bombers are bad, I'll write that they're bad, and when they're good, I'll write that That was always my approach in 29 years at the, in the newspaper industry, too. So I guess what I would say is, I'm, I, I have access to more information. I have access to more, um, you know, people. And so I think it's my stuff would be probably better informed instead of more of me when I didn't know or it was just too easy to be a smart ass or just kind of try a, a funny line. Now I can, I can walk downstairs and go into the football ops department and say, um, you know, why is this happening or what's going on? And sometimes they might tell me off the record, but sometimes they explain it to me. And I think it's helped uh, make me a better reporter in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, well, you're clearly you're going to be biased. And uh, I'm not going to deny that. That's probably true. I hope it doesn't show up every day in, in, <laughs> in my office. This isn't unique either, guys. I mean, you see it that every NFL team has got writers on staff. Right. Too. It's just. It's just the way of the world. So uh, I'm just uh, jumping on a train that was already rolling at, at full speed. In, t in terms of the product on the field for the Bombers, obviously we've seen a lot more good than bad so far this year. But coming into the season, what were your expectations for this team? Yeah, that's another good question, too. It, it's funny. It seems that we're at, here we are at the halfway point, and everybody seems surprised by the Bombers. And I... To be honest, I don't get that a little bit. Uh, this is a team that went on a 10-3 and run last year after making the quarterback change. Yes, it lost in the in the playoffs in the first round, 
but I don't think they got any worse in the off season. And uh, so I'm not surprised really that uh, they are where they are. I, I figured that they'd be right in the mix. I still think Calgary's the best team in the league. And I thought the Bombers would be right in the mix for second, third, and fourth, like they are, and, and a shot at a home playoff game, which I think is what uh, everybody in this town would love to see. Certainly, yeah. I find it a little bit funny that, uh, you know, maybe outside of Winnipeg, that a lot of people are just sort of shocked that this team has, has continued to do what they did from basically August on last year. Uh, you know, it, it's... It's a bit funny, the narrative outside of Winnipeg. There's still a lot of people that aren't sold on this club, but that's fine. I guess we'll see this weekend. There's a lot of people that seem to be on the Saskatchewan bandwagon right now. So we'll see how this unfolds and whether that might change people's takes on the bombers at all. Uh, Ed, if we could go back, uh, if you don't mind, just a little bit uh, to last year and the 1-4 and four start. Uh, there was a lot of uh, discussion, but perhaps at 1-4, and four, uh, people were suggesting that Michael Shea's job was maybe on the line, particularly those in the media going into the, you know, into the buy at one and four. What's been the reason for this turnaround? I mean, obviously it's been well documented that, uh, Matt Nichols, uh, took over the controls. Uh, I believe it was that week, uh, but other than, aside from maybe the Matt Nichols factor, what have you seen as the single most biggest difference for the turnaround? Yeah, so let's uh, start with what you started with there at first. Uh, despite what you may have heard or read, uh, when the Bombers were 1-4 and four last year, there were no discussions about firing Mike O'Shea. And part of the reason is that they thought they had something. They were building something. You, you know, they've added a lot of pieces. The new offensive coordinator last year in Paul Lapolis, Justin Medlock, was, Andrew Harris was new. They made the quarterback change. All those things were factors in them getting off to a one and four start and struggling at first. But I think that uh, at no time did management say that the coaching was the issue. And I think that uh, patience, I guess, proved to be the, the right move. But as to your, the second part of your question as to what the keys are, yeah, we touched on Matt Nichols. I think that's first and foremost in this league or any pro football league. you got to get quality play out of the quarterback. and His numbers have been spectacular since he took over. But it's it's funny, in that game last year where he made his first start, replaced Drew Willie, it was also the first start for Travis Bond. It was also the first start for Taylor Loeffler. And both those guys turned out to be CFL All-Stars last year. And I think part of what we saw from that moment forward was that the O-line kind of solidified. They made the decision to go with three Americans up front, Travis Bond being the third American, and, th- and that unit has basically been intact since then. And we know how solid they've, they've been. And Taylor Loeffler kind of solidified the back end of the secondary, and that was a big part of it too. And then the rest of it that's just sort of bled into this year has been these guys have figured out how to win some close games. We've seen that a lot this year, and it sounds really cliche, but you know, you gotta go through these things. You gotta kinda win together to understand how to get it done. And we've seen, you know, dating back to last year that the team has, has kinda stood up and, and, and taken some punches and then thrown some of their own in the fourth quarter and in critical moments. And they've figured out how to win those close games instead of, uh, kinda, you know, letting them slip away like they were in 2015. There's a lot of games that they should have won at the end of that year but they blew too. So um, 
uh, it's just a whole lot of things that, that kind of feed uh, each other, and uh, and that's why we are where we are right now with this 17 and five run in their last 22 games. That's pretty. Yeah, pretty impressive that run. One of the big keys for the Bombers so far this season has really been the way they've executed the hurry up offense. I think personally, it's one of the best I've seen in this league in a long time. Now, obviously, you cover the team closely. You're at practice all, all the time. Um, what is it about that hurry-up offense that's so dynamic and makes it one of the best in the league? Well, they call it the cheetah is their hurry-up offense, which is kind of a cute name. Um, what, what works about it is that, first of all, they work at it every day of practice. I was over there today, and it's something that they don't just throw in, you know, at the end of a practice week. It's every day that they run it. And... Um, Basically, I think one of the keys to it is that football's become so situational where, you know, teams will bring in extra defensive backs on second down and they rotate their D line and they're doing this and doing this on that on, on defense. But when you're in a hurry up like that or in the cheetah, as the bombers call it, it really limits teams ability to rotate their personnel. And it, in a way, uh, they didn't run it a lot last year, but this is, speaks to their comfort level in Paul Lapelise's offense now, and that uh, they feel that they're dictating things a little bit more. And, uh, they're in control, they're, you know, and, and I think uh, because they practice it so much, because it limits what defenses can do to counter, I just think they're really comfortable in it. Like, it doesn't mean that you can do it all the time, because the last thing you'd want is to be in a hurry up and, and go a couple series in a row where you're two and out, two and out, and, and right. no time off the clock. But when it when it does work, it can be so effective, and we've seen signs of that. So they, I think they have to pick their spots. But don't be surprised if we see some of that on in Regina on Sunday too. Finally, Ed, uh, speaking about Regina on on uh, Wednesday, always the tradition. Uh, one of my favorite games. Uh, you know, either that, either this one on Sunday or the Banjo Bowl, they're both kind of my favorites. I have a hard time choosing now which one would be my favorite. That being said, you've seen your fair share of these Labor Day classics from 52 nothing to the win last year to, uh, Kerry Joseph, uh, touchdown run in the final minute. Uh, what stands out to you? Uh, do you have any Labor Day memories? Yeah, uh, it's funny. It's- I've been, I missed a couple when I switched to do hockey there a few years ago, but I've been, my first Labor Day was 1990, and I've seen a lot of blowouts. A lot, most of the time it's been the Riders blowing out the Bombers, but there have been some really good games in there too, and, uh, you know, one that really, I mean, last year really stands out because, uh, we got news in the morning of the Labor Day game that Jerry Maslowski, the longtime right. director, for the Bombers that passed away and it was such a kind of an emotional day and the Bombers to go out and win I really remember after the game being in the the dressing room and some of the guys that knew Jerry and some of the staff were saying that one's for Jerry or Jerry would have loved this and so that one sticks out for all kinds of reasons not just because the Bombers won but because of sort of that that backdrop of Jerry's passing Um, you know as a fan I can remember uh, a Richard Crump 100-some-yard run, I believe it was on the Labor Day. I can remember, yeah, Rocky Butler beating the Bombers and nobody knew who he was. Um, there's been, you know, it's it's not just about the game for me. It's the mini Grey Cup, you know, that that whole weekend is so much fun with Bomber fans 
you know, flooding Regina and with people just so jacked up about it. It's the CFL at its best. And it's just a, a great game. It, it should be on every Bomber fan's bucket list to at least go to one. Uh, I can remember, just a, a quick aside, I can remember back in the mid to late 90s when the CFL was in a lot of trouble. Uh, the New York Times actually sent a writer up to Regina to, to talk about the Labor Day game and, and how, uh, it, you know, basically, you know, it was the, the owners and governors that were running the league into the ground, but the product was always wonderful, and that's what the New York Times piece said, and I, I think we've seen that this league has survived, but uh, the Labor Day game, the Labor Day weekend kind of, to me, marks the real the turn towards the important games, and it's just so much fun. I, I hope that every Bomber fan gets a chance to get out there and, and, and see the party and you know get out there on the Friday and, and spend a little time because it is, it is certainly a blast. Right on. Uh, kind of final question here would be: that We're at the mid-season point. The Bombers are seven and two so far. Nine games to go on the season. What do you make of the the rest of the season going forward? What do you see happening with this team and uh, where they end up? I, did, I like their resiliency, guys. I like how they, you know, a lot of games we counted them out and they, they've come back to to win. There's something about this team that's kind of special. The thing that would scare me is that you know of their Final nine games, six are against the West Division, and we know how dominant the West has been compared to the East. So every game's going to be a dogfight. But the things that I would, you know, be encouraged by is that the offense has gone seven weeks in a row scoring 33 points or more. More that's never been done in CFL and Bomber history, as far as I can see. And I think the defense is going to come around. You know, I know a lot of people are seeing it as the Achilles heel of this team, but the more that uh, Brandon Alexander and the more that Brian Walker and those kind of guys play, I think the more comfortable they get in this scheme. And I, you know, getting Tristan Opalugo back is going to help with the pass rush. There's, there's some good pieces on defense. And if the defense can come around and the offense keeps scoring, I think this team can run with anybody. Uh, finally, Ed, final question. Uh, I'm just wondering since the, since the one and four start that we touched on last year and this recent run, uh, I was having a discussion with some fans today, and we were trying to kind of pinpoint reasons as to why, you know, the Bombers aren't maybe getting uh, getting the respect that maybe they deserve. I mean, I know, like, I was looking at some of the some of the predictions and stuff for the Labor Day game uh, going in, and it seems to be heavily um, in favor of Saskatchewan now winning the game, at least uh, in the early pits. I know I saw at one point that the Riders were two and a half to three point favorites. Uh, I know that was earlier this week. Uh, what do you make of, uh, I guess, how has the bomber perception kind of changed in uh, less than a minute, if you don't mind? Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. It's not such a question, good point, too. Uh, it, it, it's funny because uh, they've beaten everybody in this run that they've been on. They've beaten everybody but Calgary. And, you know, you, you can't go 17-5 and five over 22 games and not earn some respect. But it seems like it it does come begrudgingly from a lot of people. I think maybe what, we're, what we just talked about a little bit, that a lot of people look at the defense and wonder about whether it can get it done and whether the Bombers can keep winning by outscoring teams. So there's, I guess for a lot of people, there's still some question marks. But, you know, if you were to rank the teams from 1 to 9 in the CFL right now, I don't know how you have don't have the Bombers slotted third or second in 
So I, I don't know what they have to do to get more respect. I guess, uh, you know, winning on Labor Day would be a, another step towards it. But ultimately, look, this, this team's got a black cloud hanging over it. Uh, the franchise does. And ultimately, uh, the respect is earned in November when the games really matter. Well, Ed, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking about the Bombers' first half of the season so far here with you. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us on the show. And uh, how can people find your work and find you on social media? Yeah, everything's on bluebombers.com. And my Twitter account is at EdTateWFC. appreciate all the clicks and anybody that goes there to read. Got lots of good stuff uh, with outstanding videos and uh, the people that helped me with this website have done a wonderful job, and our, our clicks and our numbers are through the roof. So for the Bomber fans that have been there, keep going. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out, please. And we all recommend you do check it out. I mean, Ed, I, I visited that website more times than not, and I can say I think on behalf of most fans, uh, we appreciate the work that you've done, excellent content, uh, very informative. I've always come away very, 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 very informed on the latest Bomber news, even if I don't pay attention to Twitter uh, by the time the Bombers practice. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Ed, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way this season for the Bombers, and uh, have a wonderful day. Right on. Take care. And that was Ed Tate, writer and digital content director for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us on the phone line here on the two-hour mid-season review special here on Mike FM Winnipeg, the Canadian Football Countdown. We're going to take a moment to just get reset here after uh, taking our guest on the phone uh, and start talking uh, news from around the league from the first half of the season in just a moment. In the meantime, here's how you can interact with us on social media. Boy, just before we go to break, talk about mid-season. A lot has happened this week. A lot to talk about. We've got, we're here for two hours today. We'll be back in one moment. To interact with us on social media, follow us on Twitter at at CFC on MikeFM. Mike can be found at at MikeGarrell, and Ryan can be found at at CooperTrooper42 as well. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CFC on MikeFM. Want to catch up on old episodes of the show? Find us on SoundCloud and iTunes under the Canadian Football Countdown. And if you'd rather watch the show than listen to the show each week, you can find us on YouTube as well with a video version of every week's episode under the Canadian Football Countdown. Whatever platform you're listening on, we'd love it if you would take a moment to like, comment, subscribe, or follow, and share to help us grow the show. Thank you very much for your support. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Canadian Football Countdown here on Mike FM Winnipeg. We were just joined by Ed Tate of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and great information on the Bombers first half of the season, what Ed saw from them then and what he sees for them going forward. And now we're back, Mike, talking about the rest of the Canadian Football League. Uh, first of all, though, not necessarily pinpointing to a team, let's talk about some of the initiatives that the CFL has undergone so far this season. We'll get into all of the uh, drama that happened with the Ticats this week. Um, we won't go too in-depth into that, but uh, the one I really want to talk about is the Grey Cup fit-up, which started uh, a bit ago. The, uh, it was basically started by Brody Lawson, who's one of the hosts for the CFL, the CFL this week. Uh, started August 19th. 100 days before this year's Grey Cup, and it's a challenge basically for everyone, and if you haven't heard of it, this is the challenge. In all 100 days, starting from then until the Grey Cup, to do 30 minutes of exercise 
every single day leading up to the Grey Cup. Um, I have decided to participate in this challenge along with, along with over 200 other people. Uh, I did start a couple days late due to a uh, sprained ankle I've been nursing for a little while, but it's good to go. Uh, eight days in, eight down, 92 to go. Um, great initiative started by Brody Lawson and members around the CFL community encouraging one another to get healthy, get exercise, and get fit. I encourage you all to go out and try to take part in this challenge. It's as easy as walking for half an hour a day. While you're listening to this show, download the Mike FM Go mobile app, or if you're listening on SoundCloud or on iTunes, plug in the headphones and just go for a half an hour walk while you listen to our voice, and boom, you've got your exercise for this day already. So, Well, I mean, when you start off with some great content from Winnipeg Blue Bombers director of uh, the website director, whatever the official title there is, uh, don't have it off the top of my head, but boy, oh boy, that was some of the best uh, 15 minutes. I really, really enjoyable uh, interview with Ed. Uh, so that'll take up half your time tomorrow on the, on the uh, rate up bit up if you uh, decide to do it. And then, I mean, we have a two-hour show. Split that up, half an hour, four days. You can listen to us over four days. I don't know. I'd certainly want to listen to my voice for four days in a row. Have you ever done that? Have you ever listened to yourself? I mean, I mean, you edit the shows uh, for right, our YouTube yes, page yes. and audio. I mean, I did ask you just before we talked about other stuff. It must be weird listening back to yourself. Oh, it is. Trust me. And uh, it's not, you know, when you edit these shows and you're adjusting volumes and, uh, you know, it cutting out blank silences, which occasionally happen from time to time. Um, you listen back to yourself a lot, and it's really weird. Um, but, you know. You know what? I do it all the time, right, with all the hockey games and stuff. But I kind of get used to it. Uh, but it, it is a weird thing. It is. Let's get into the CFL season so far, Mike. Uh, we talked Bombers with Ed Tate. We're not going to spend a lot more time talking Bombers here because... There's eight other teams in the CFL, and we cover the whole CFL, so we want to kind of cover everything if we can. Um, maybe let's start in the West Division, because we've already started with the Bombers. Uh, at the top of the second hour of this show, we'll be joined by Steve from the Piffles Podcast out of Saskatchewan uh, to talk about the Riders thus far this season, the upcoming Labor Day Classic, and the Banjo Bowl, so you can look forward to that right at the top of the next hour, because we're going for two hours here today. Uh, but pick another team in the West, Mike. Uh, Calgary, Edmonton, BC. One of those teams. Who do you want to start with here? Well, a team that started good but has suddenly hit the skid and is looking at a quarterback change uh, for coming off of the bye. Uh, let's talk about BC. Yeah, this was a team coming into the season. Uh, the BC Lions right now are they're at five and four, I believe. Correct. I'll look at mm-hmm. the standings here. Yeah, they're five uh, and five and five on the season right they're now. They're five and five. The Riders are four and four. Up two games in hand. This was a team coming into this year. I thought the Lions stood a chance at winning the, the West Division coming into the season. Uh, Jonathan Jennings, all, all signs pointed to him having a monster season this year and being an MOP candidate. Just a progression we've seen from him coming into becoming a star in this league. And then they went and added weapons for him. Chris Williams brought in in the offseason. Now, obviously, he was on the injured list for the majority of the first start of the year. Uh, but we were expecting big things from the Lions coming into this year, uh, especially their offense, and uh, things started to trail off a little bit. Jennings had a st- tough start to the season in the games he played. 
not didn't really jump out on the stats sheet. Well, he had the shoulder injury. And then he got injured, right? And so he missed a lot of time. Travis Lule came in, I would say played phenomenal in the time he was in the lineup. Jennings comes back from injury, comes back in, and a couple, uh, you know, throws, what, three, four interceptions to Ed Ganey in one game? Yeah. So, well, no, four interceptions Jennings, Jennings a, didn't throw all of them. Four interceptions and a forced fumble, which we made to be the defensive uh, game of the year by anybody. Certainly, yeah. And Jennings didn't throw all those four interceptions, but he's certainly, in the couple games since he came back, really struggled to get anything going for the Lions offense, turning over the ball frequently. Especially this last week. Like, that's how the highlights against Ottawa. I mean, teams have been, this is no disrespect to the Red Blast. I think teams have had a relatively easy time this year with the Ottawa defense. Oh, well, yeah, as far as I'm aware, the uh, Red Blacks defense is last in the league and giving up the most passing yards and when uh, you, or second last. For me, I just, I don't know. I mean, Travis Lule did a pretty good job when he came in, to, you know, for Jonathan Jennings. I, I questioned the move going right back to Jennings the minute. Uh, it's almost like BC took a step back by one. To Jennings now, three weeks later. And now they're going back to Lule this week. Travis Lule, I believe, was announced as the starter for this yeah. game. Uh, and I think it's the right move for the Lions at this point. He's showed in the time he's played that he can be dynamic in leading that offense. Uh, even this week, he came in and led that comeback against the Ottawa Red Blacks. That just fell short. Um, correct? Lule came in second half of that game? Yeah, um... And they're down twenty-four nothing. So twenty-four to three, and then he right. got two touchdowns. He did quickly respectable. Almost brought them all the way back. To so I, I mean, I like I like this move for the Lions, and we'll see how long Lule is a starter. We'll see if Jennings gets back in at all this year. But uh, how I much? Mean, I didn't. I don't know Ryan here. To be completely honest with you, I don't know. How much of this was Ottawa softening up versus Travis Lule having success? Probably a bit of both. I would chalk it up to a bit of both. Um, if you want to name a comeback player for twenty uh, for twenty seventeen so far this season, I mean everyone's going to give it to S.J. Green, and I think it deserves to after missing basically all season with the injury last year. Comes back and he's lighting it up with the Argos. Um, but how about Travis Lue and what he's done so far this year in the games he's played? Uh, he's done a great job with that Lions offense. I think this is the right move going forward for them. And uh, I'm interested to see what happens with Jonathan Jennings now because promising young quarterback coming into this season, expected to be possibly the top quarterback in the CFL this year, and now, obviously, the injury, the struggles, and now he's on the bench. So so what happens going forward with Jonathan Jennings? I think you have to – I'll say this. I think you have to sit him down for a bit, let him maybe watch the game, maybe let him get some sh- rehab a bit on that shoulder, and then I think you throw him right back out there. But I think uh, as much of a situation as this, I think – the decision is predicated on what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are doing right now. How so? Two games in hand on BC. BC losing the tiebreaker. BC doesn't have to step on the field anymore this year or anymore, I guess, to Saskatchewan to two games in hand. 
which they could officially with one of, a win in one of those two games, not BC out of the playoffs. Going forward now, because uh, we want to review the first half of the season, predict what we see yeah. from these teams going forward. Second half of the season, nine games left. What do you see for the Lions team? Because uh, I'll tell you, I was things were looking good early on for the Lions, and I don't think it's full, full doom and gloom at this point at all. But uh, I, I'm getting a little concerned with them, and we'll see how they respond with that quarterback change because the Riders are coming. The Riders are on their way. They are riding into town and climbing up that West Division standings. The Bombers, who I thought were going to be that kind of crossover team this year, the Bombers are at the top of the standings. The Stampeders are up there. The Eskimos, two straight losses. But at the same time, the Eskimos are still a good football team. Are we now looking at the Lions in trouble of either crossover spot uh, or being even passed by the Riders down the stretch? I mean, BC doesn't have a tiebreaker against Saskatchewan. They're, they're one win in two games away from a tiebreaker over the Bombers. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, tiebreakers only work if you're tied in the standings. I, I think we're looking at a very real possibility with the Bombers finishing second and the Riders finishing third. And with the, So you have Edmonton dropping all the way down to fourth. They have not looked good in the last two weeks. The injuries have caught up to themselves. They were lucky to be 7-0 and in a lot of those games. And Mike Riley is was very good in that 7-0 start. And I would dare say he's been average the last two weeks. Uh, I didn't like the way he turned the ball over there a couple times against the Riders. Uh, Riders had some big plays. Uh, the defense is starting to come to play. Yeah, we'll talk about the Eskimos in just a moment to sum up. Uh, the Lions. Just, just to quickly sum it up, I, I don't see a reason why the Bombers and the Riders can't meet in the playoffs. I would agree with you. I think the West Division right now is completely wide open. I, I mean, that's the best way to say it. Uh, yeah, I mean, anyone could finish anywhere realistically at this point. For the Lions, we've touched on the offense quite a bit. What do you make of their defensive play so far this season? Obviously, the big hole is Adam Big Hill not being there this year. Being with the New Orleans Saints, he's doing a great job with the Saints, by the way preseason game last week or the week before led the team in tackles so had an yeah, interception yeah the week he's before, not so, uh, uh i'd be very shocked if he's back uh i i haven't paid too much attention to the saints training camp but from the from what they also I've have seen, a former bison uh, david i mean matt on the team as right well. from what i've seen i mean adam big hill could very well land a, land a spot with the saints he's playing really well that leaves a hole in the bc lions defense uh what do you make of their defense so far this season? They're great against the run, um, but against the pass, they've suffered a lot of injuries in that backfield as well. I, I want to know something. I don't want to be over-hyper on the fact that BC's defense hasn't been that great because I don't know if they've gotten a lot of help from their quarterback, especially the last couple weeks. Fair so, enough. So I think they've... <laughs> They need to figure out what to do with the quarterback position in the second half to steady that ship down, and then we'll see what the defense is. I mean, the defense has been put in impossible situations. Uh, they're not getting the production that they expected, and I don't know how many games they can win with getting production that they've gotten the last couple of weeks out of the quarterback. So I think the quarterback made everything go offense, defense, special teams. I, I just think before we talked about giving the defensive grade, 
we should talk about who the quarterback is. Uh, who the quarterback is for the uh, Lions. Yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. That's obviously the most important position on the football field. Um, that's it uh, for the Lions. Let's move into the Eskimos. One, one quick thing, sure. too. Three of the five wins for the Lions were on that Eastern Roads win. I mean, so they haven't had that much success against. To the, be fair, if you look at any of the West teams, I think over half their wins are against the East teams because the East barely beats the West Division. Oh, I know, but if you, if you factor in, right? I mean, the Bombers could be in the same boat too, right? They're oh, they're two and two against the West. Uh, we'll have a bunch of Western names coming up, and uh, that's where things are going to get real interesting here. With there, the there's a lot of coming up. One thing about the setting up of the year too, there's a lot of West, West, East, East games, so. Uh, If you you think the CFL season has been good so far, put your seatbelts on and buckle up because it's going to be a wild ride down the stretch. If the Bombers keep playing the way they are, Week 20 is going to be a doozy at McMahon Stadium. Let's move in and talking about the Eskimos. You talked about them there briefly. 7-0 to start the season. Pretty much a record number of injuries. I don't know what the official record is, but the amount of guys they've had on the six-game injured list Second string, third string, fourth string, even fifth string playing in different positions. I mean, any football team with that, uh, that many injuries, that many guys that don't normally play in the lineup, they pull out a win. You consider that impressive. They pull out seven wins in a row to start the season. That's that's more than impressive. That's something that, like, I, I'm shocked that they managed to pull that many out. 7-0 to start the season, and obviously they've lost the last two, and like you said, the injuries are starting to catch up to them. But what was the number one factor for their undefeated run to start the season? Mike Riley. Mike Riley played at the MOP level, won a lot of close games. They pulled a lot of games out in the fourth quarter. No, well, it was the depth as well, I think I would add to that. Well, yeah, but, you know, you're... Your team is as good as your leaders are playing, and Mike Riley took the team to another level. We had Dave Campbell on the show, you know, prior to the Bomber game when they were seven and zero. Mike Riley goes, the Eskimos go, and I think everything, everything in the CFL is predicated on good play at the quarterback position. Oh, and also, when guys go down, it's up to the next guy in the lineup to come in and exactly. play to the best of his ability, uh, and really to pick up the slack. And, I mean, everyone's doing that in Edmonton. You look at the wide receiver position, I think, is one of the best tells. You had a Darius oh, Bowman. Oh, man, they got one of the best talent pools. Oh, you've got a Darius Bowman who's back now, finally. I think they're, I think everyone in that wide receiver group is actually healthy now. Uh, I, maybe Hazleton's still injured, but that I'm yeah. not sure of. But Bowman's back now, but he was out for a long time. You had Zilstra out for a couple games. Hazleton went down himself at one point. I mean... It's it, just when you think, okay, how are they going to survive this? Look at Bryant Mitchell. He's had a great start to the season so far. Look at Duke Williams, who, I mean, he makes a circus catch. I was making acrobatic catch. He makes a circus catch every single week. You want to talk about uh, rookie of the year candidates? I think Duke Williams has to be up there. Martin Michelle as well for Calgary. Certainly. Um so even at that position, I mean, look at defensively, you've had guys step up. How good has Kenny Ladler been for that Eskimos defense oh, this year? Boy. He's been incredible. Especially with the loss of J.C. Sherrod. He was, uh, I, I can't even, 
I'm pertinent too. Valeria is pertinent. He's the third guy on the He's third on string, the death right? chart. I mean, everybody said, "John White, John White, Calvin McCarty, you ate." No, it was not Calvin McCarty. It was uh, Trayvon Van. Oh, oh, Trayvon Van. Yeah, McCarty's fullback. And uh, but yeah, McCarty's had experience as a running back anyway. Oh, and you look at offensive line, defensive line. They've had injuries everywhere. They're down to their third string kicker, I believe. Is yeah. that correct? Hugh O'Neill, uh, who hasn't been doing a terrible job from what I've seen. Um, they had to have Odell Willis kick the ball in one game. <laughs> that just to show that's a whole new level. It doesn't even of, surprise me that, hey, I mean, if Ryan Lankford can punt a ball 60 yards in a wild finish to that last play in the Bomber in yeah. the Alouettes game, I mean, you'd be surprised what some of these guys can do. I, Odell Willis did a great job with that one kick. Um, this team, though, I think the last two weeks, for what you've seen, um, is the injuries catching up with them in that game against the Bombers? I think, th- I mean, they were close. They were close to beating the Bombers. Uh, the Bombers just happened to run all over them. Andrew Harris dominated that game. The Eskimos missed some tackles in that one. Um, but what's the excuse this time? They turned the ball over way too well, many times. Well, that's the thing. That's that's the main thing here is I still think the injuries are a part of it, but this game against the Riders. Sh- Full props to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They dominated that game from start to finish. <laughs> they threw Mike Riley off his game. He broke his streak of throwing a touchdown pass in every game. Didn't have one against the Riders. Mike Riley's not known to throw a lot of interceptions, but this ball-hawking defense in Saskatchewan, I mean, it's just incredible. As much as you want to talk about the number of turnovers the Bombers have forced in the last year yeah. and a bit, this if, is... When it was... The Saskatchewan forced seven turnovers in PDC two, two weeks ago there before their bye. Well, I know Ed Ganey had five, so probably something like that. This is the Labor Day Classic is coming up this week, and uh, at the top of the hour in about tw- a little over 20 minutes, we're going to be talking to Steve from the Piffles podcast out of Saskatchewan about this and about the Riders' defense so far. Um this team, this game the, between the Bombers and the Riders this week, I think comes down to which team can force more turnovers. And this is a game we have two ball hawking defenses. We could be looking at like 21 turnovers. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I touched on this with Ed. I don't see how the Riders are such heavy favorites. I, I just let I. Maybe I'm being a homer here, but I think the Bombers deserve a little more respect at 7-2. and two. And the amount of people jumping on the white rider bandwagon and just said they've won two in a row and all of a sudden might make it three in a row. I don't know. I, I'm interested to get our death spot at the top of the next hour. I don't know if the riders have turned the corner yet. I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the Riders a little later as well because I, I you know what, I'm going to contradict you. I think they have. I think this is a good football team and it can compete with. Them I, I understand that, but let's see what happens when they play the Bombers. And I, I think there's no disrespect to BC. Jonathan Jennings did not look good. They, he threw a lot of interceptions in that game. Mike Riley let this game slip away for the Eskimos. The Eskimos were sloppy. Um. I think they had 31 points off a turnover with the Riders, which is ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, the es- and let's bring this back to the Eskimos here because we're going to be talking plenty exactly, of Exactly, exactly. But I just like I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Edmonton is, and I'm not sure what the Saskatchewan is. All of a sudden, in the last two weeks, so things with the I, I, I don't know what the whole West Division is. In the last pretty much, weeks. I mean, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. What even is the West Division? Put all the names in the hat, take one out, and boom, that's your division winner. Because I think it's all a mess right now, and any team could finish anywhere. Um, Edmonton. To sum up my thoughts on the Eskimos so far mm-hmm. this year, I would say. It's not luck that they started 7-0. and Chalk it up to leadership, depth, talent, coaching. Jason Moss has done a heck of a job this year. I do think the last two games, they haven't played great. Um, I'm interested to see what happens going forward for them because you look at their schedule right now, they have a home-and-home with the Stampeders, who I think is the best team in the CFL. I mean, their first place in the standings. And talent-wise, I think they are the best team in the CFL. That's two tough matchups for the Stampeders. Yes, the Eskimos are starting to get some guys back from injury. Like I said, Darius Bowman finally back. That's a huge piece for that offense. But playing Calgary twice with such a beat-up team. They're, they'll split. Probably. I mean, I, I see a lot of these home-and-home home Ryans being splits. More often than not, that's the case. Um, yeah. I mean, that's at least one loss to Calgary if it's this week. That's three so straight losses. So who has more pressure this week, Edmonton or Calgary? In terms of pressure? Because Calgary's never lost at home in who knows how long. Edmonton's trying to rate the ship. I, I don't even believe there is pressure on the Stampeders in the regular season. Talk to me come playoff time, there's big pressure. Because they the haven't won anything substantial despite their regular season. To oh, touch. yeah. Playoff time, huge pressure on the Stampeders to perform. I don't think there's an ounce of pressure on them during the regular season because you know they're going to finish the season good. So, I guess... Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Can we just finish the show right now? No, we have I, an I, hour I, and 18 minutes I know, minutes I know, I know. And sleep through, through to the weekend? Because, oh boy... There's going to be some good football. Yes, there is. Stampeders, Eskimos, Bombers, Riders. But just a uh, fight on the Eskimos. Battle of Ontario. uh, And then uh, Montreal, Ottawa this weekend as well. I would give my coach of the year vote to Jason Moss. That's my final say on the Edmonton Eskimos. I would agree with you what he's done with that team. I would give honorable mention, honestly, to the Mike O'Shea of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's done a great job this year as well. Um, but just given all of the injury situation in Edmonton, what Moz has been able to pull out of his players, I got to give him my nominee for coach of the year so far. I would say that as well. And I'm interested to see what happens here. Um, if, say, per se, they lose and drop both to the Stampeders, and now you're sitting at 7-4 and four on a four-game losing streak. That gets given re- your schedule coming up, that, too. That, that gets real interesting to me. I think they'll split. I agree with you. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, We'll see where they go from there for the Eskimos. Talking about the other side of that rivalry, the Stampeders, Mike. Uh, thoughts on the Stampeders so far this season? The Calgary Stampeders have had two great games, two blowouts. Uh, about week. What week are we on now? Ten. Uh, I believe we're on to week eleven. This week coming up. Uh, I think it was week five and week six, but they blew those two teams out like they wasn't even close. But I'll tell you what, Calgary looked like a very beatable team the rest of the year. So I think we're starting to see 
But the Calgary Stampeders are not all bully by Mitchell in this high-powered offense. I think the Stampedo defense is starting to make a trademark now. And I want to see if it carries over. Because I think we're seeing Calgary's defense have a little more impact on games than maybe we've seen in the past. I just want to see if, if that continues. That's an interesting take on that because if you ask me and anyone else around the league, or a majority of people, I would say, they have Calgary's number one team in the CFL. The Stampeders uh, are I'm on not... a roll because of that. I mean, they blew Hamilton. They blew Toronto out of the water. And they've consistently won football games all but season But listen, long. Hamilton's record in defense to in defense to that statement Calgary did what they had to do against Hamilton. But I'll tell you what, Calgary's beatable, but Calgary's a more well-rounded team than in the last couple of years. That yeah, that, that's that's pretty accurate, I would say. Defensively, I, I think they've sacrificed a little bit of that high-powered offense to focus on defense, and I wonder, I wonder if they start tinkering with the roster a little bit. Deal from a position of strength down the stretch, maybe a receiver, maybe an offensive guy, and go get one more defensive guy to solidify that. 7-1-1 one, and one to start the season. Their defense has been phenomenal. Lowest points allowed in the league, I'm pretty sure. I don't have the numbers in front of yeah. me right now. Um, but consistently, really not giving offenses anything to work with. Um, and when your defense is playing that well and you have an all-star quarterback in pardon me, Bo Levi Mitchell, and you've got Jerome Messam, who leads the league in rushing yards. Uh, you've got weapons on that offense as well. Bo Levi Mitchell doesn't get sacked a lot, so that offensive line is really good. I still think on all sides of this ball, on all sides of the ball, the Stampeders are a very good football team, uh, and they've shown that so far this year. But this year, I think they have a little more competition in that West Division. Right, yeah. I w you know what? That, I think that's the best way to put that. I don't think the Stampeders have gotten worse than they have in the last couple of years. I just think the rest of the division's gotten better. And I put I throw Saskatchewan in there now. The, that's the best way to put it. Uh, we've seen Bo Levi Mitchell a couple more games than normal. So here's Maybe a question. struggle a little bit. We know his shoulder kind of has been bothering him hmm. for the last week or so. I wonder how that affects it. That because that's the thing with the Stampeders over the last three, four years, how long, however long Mitchell has been the starting quarterback, he hasn't gotten injured. Whereas everyone else in the league has had an injury to their starting quarterback at least once in the last couple of years. Mitchell has been a consistent guy out on the field, making a mockery of defenses and running the show in Calgary. Now all of a sudden, right now, now it looks like he's banged up a little bit, and maybe his play is suffering from that a little bit. That's not to say Bo Levi Mitchell has had a bad season by any mm -hmm. by any stretch of the matter. It's just a more well-rounded approach, right? And I think that's can I can I ask this question? It, it pertains to the West Division. Sure. Are we in a situation where the top five teams in the league are all from the West? Yep, pretty much. Standings-wise, that's what it looks like right now. Uh, I'd argue the Argos. I put maybe... the I, I I put the Argos in at number five, Saskatchewan in at number six. Ottawa may be rising a little bit. Something like that. I think the Riders are on the rise as well. But the the West here may, here might be a better way to put it. The West occupies five of the first seven spots as far as team yep. rankings. Yep, hundred percent. Interesting. Interesting to say the least. 
Um, Calgary going forward, do we expect them to uh, continue what they've done so far this year? I don't see why they can't. I mean, I haven't seen their schedule down the stretch. You know, they they lost Saskatchewan, who they've seemingly had their way with the last couple of years. Let's see what happens. Let's see, indeed. Um, we wanted to f- finish talking about the West Division, but right at the top of the hour is when we're going to be talking about the Riders for a little bit with our guest Steve you know, from the Pitbulls podcast. Do you mind talking about the Riders for just a little bit? I would rather get another team from the East out of the way so we have time for other stuff later in the show, and we'll touch on the Riders a bit after what we hear he has to say, uh, if that's all right with you. Yeah, no, because I just like to take a bit of a break uh, leading into hour number two, so I don't want to go too long. Right. So uh, maybe, maybe this is the perfect side way to maybe talk about Hamilton, since there isn't that much to talk about with. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about with the Tie Cats, Mike. This week alone has had more to talk about than any other team in the week has had in this whole season. I want to be careful how I approach this because there's fans on either side that are kind of, I mean, we all know about the coach. Art Bryles. We, 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 we know how that played out. But there are fundamental problems in Hamilton. We've addressed them for weeks on this show. It's been written about. I don't know your thoughts on what's going on in Hamilton. Well, maybe start with the new coach in June Jones. Well, I'll start with this. The uh, Ticats are an 0-8 football team, started the season at 0-8, came into the bye week looking like, in the time I've been a fan of the CFL, the worst CFL fan, the worst CFL team I've seen in my time watching, they came into the bye week. We knew there were going to be changes. John Chick shipped out to Edmonton. All of a sudden, uh, Kent Austin steps down as coach. June Jones comes in. Uh, what other news have we had? Oh, where do I even begin? The whole Art oh, Bryles oh, saga oh. of this week, which, quick note on that. Uh, obviously, the Ticats tried to bring in former Baylor University head coach Art Bryles, who has a past of issues. We'll, we'll and it's the- not a good past. It's certainly not a good pass. Um, CFL fans outraged by this speak out, social media, wherever they can, um, rightfully against the hiring of this man. Um, and then the CFL decides to go and, you know, respond to that and says, uh, no, we're not going to let him be hired after all, which we're not going to get into the details of this. If you If you want the details, just look at anything on Twitter over the last two, three days, because... It's been all Ticats well, uh, all the time. I, I will say this uh, to sum it up, you know. Can I just add this before you finish? Yeah. I was out at the late till Monday afternoon. My phone gets service, so I go on Twitter for the first time. In oh gosh, <laughs> four days. I, I, you know what? We're we're, we're and gonna... all I see is this coaching situation. So I test you. I'm like, what is up? I am troubled that it got as far as it did. I, I, I am troubled. And I am not pleased with that. It took a CFL fan outcry to have this change made. I applaud the CFL community, fans, podcasters, bloggers, for speaking up for what they believe is right. 
um, and persuading the CFL, making them realize, uh, making the Ticats realize the errors in their ways, and obviously not going through with the plan to hire Art Bryles. Uh, I applaud the CFL community for what they did on that, and uh, we here at the Canadian Football Countdown, we obviously we stand together with the CFL community. Uh, the whole diversity is strength campaign applies to race, gender, age, anything like that. But I'm certain that you can go from this diversity is strength campaign, which is a great campaign, and I would throw the situation in Texas in that diversity is strength now, you know, natural disasters and all that kind of stuff. And then you go from to this, I'm troubled about that. And and it makes me angry that it even went as far as it did. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I don't know what else to say no, on that. That's I, not even the only thing from this week. I mean, we had we heard that uh, the Ty Cats worked out former Cleveland Browns quarterback Johnny Manziel, and then decide there were too many red flags with him, uh, so they didn't decide to bring him red, in. Honestly, and this is no offense to Johnny Johnny Manziel, and I. I'm sorry if I offend people by saying this. There are more red flags before Johnny Manziel's workout than during Johnny Manziel's workout. Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about this. Let's say there were no red flags. Do you know a little bit about Johnny Manziel's background? Yes. What what got him out of the NFL? Let's say they signed Johnny Mandel to a three-year contract after everything that happened with the coaching staff. Can you imagine? Well, and not only that, we found out today apparently Kent Austin's going to court because apparently Cornell University, his former employer, is now suing him for $100,000 due to him not fulfilling his contract there, which he was supposed to be there until 2015. And guess who bought his house of all people? Caretaker Bob. Sum up the Ticats. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the product on the field because I want to talk about Mazzoli, the change at quarterback for them. But I want to talk about that a little later. And some report that came out with a possible change at quarterback. Uh, Things things are a mess in Hamilton so far this season. That's the best way to sum it up. We're going to take a quick break here because we are here for two hours here uh, on our two-hour mid-season review special. We're going to take about a five-minute break, Mike? Yeah, five minutes. Five-minute break here. Get set up. Get our phone line set up because uh, when we come back, we will be joined by another special guest at the top of the hour. Uh, out of Regina, Steve from the Piffles podcast uh, from Saskatchewan to talk Riders, Labor Day Classic, Banjo Bowl, all that fun stuff. We'll do that right at the top of the hour when we get back here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Aye, aye, aye. This hour blew by and we're like a snail went to what we actually wanted to talk about. That's that's usually how it goes. <laughs> hour two coming up. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Hour number two of the Canadian Football Countdown Mid-Season Review Special uh, here on Mike FM Winnipeg. And now we're joined by a guest out of Saskatchewan, Steve, co-host of the Piffles Podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I guess take us into the first question I want to ask. Obviously, you talk about the riders on your podcast, on your website. Um, what were your expectations for the team coming into this season? Well, we had we did a season prediction kind of show leading off, and the rest of the guys were all ten and eight, eleven and seven. And on our show, I'm known as the biggest homer on the team or on the on the podcast. I'm always way more optimistic than I should be. And I actually had us at nine and nine, which I mean we're right on par with that right now. We're we're kind of doing exactly what I expected. Yeah, and uh, that's something. Uh... So far this season, I guess, take us into how what you've seen from this team so far. Obviously, uh, just before the midseason mark for the Riders, as they've had two bye weeks already, so they're one game short of playing half their games on the year. Um, a couple games they struggled, but the last couple weeks they've looked really good. Take us into what you've seen from them so far this year. Well, you know, I, I don't like to say a team looks better than their record or looks worse than their record. A team is exactly what their record is. The Riders, to me, feel like a team that's better than a 4-4 four and four record. They could, barring a few early season mistakes, be sitting at 6-2 and two right now. I mean, they had Winnipeg on the ropes uh, at the home opener, let them off the hook. They were a missed field goal for, against Montreal away from winning that one. They're a lot better early on than I expected. The offense is, has been producing from week one, with the exception of a couple of those road games in uh, Calgary and BC. Right. The, de- the defense is just finally starting to turn the corner. We're seeing that Chris Jones aggressive defense that we've all been waiting for since you know he, he signed with the team last year. And to me, the difference has been Nick James up front. That D-line has been getting pressure. Our DBs are playing a little bit more relaxed. That, that's been the biggest thing for me. I mean, obviously, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, I, I listen to some of the writer radio, uh, CKRM, Sports Cage, and what those guys have to say, and it sounded like to me before this recent run, but it, it sounded like a broken record, uh, jet pressure on the quarterback. You can't do anything if you did the quarterback all day. Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing, uh, has it, has it been that simple, front four getting pressure? quarterbacks uncomfortable equal turnovers and as we saw last week with I believe it was 31 points off the turnovers or between 28 to 31 points off the turnovers last week did is it that simple for the writers now that you know their defense has kind of turned the corner their offense was never really in question given Kevin Glenn so is it all smooth sailing from here to me, it actually has been that simple. And, and I said it before, the biggest difference has been that defensive line getting pressure at basically every week nonstop. All we were saying is stop the three-man rush. It's not working. Get pressure on, insert opposing quarterback here. That's been the storyline, and it wasn't happening until two weeks ago or three weeks ago in BC. And with that pressure, the DBs don't have to have to hold for five, six seconds. And that makes play the, the team just play substantially better. And the more pressure they're getting, the better they're playing. I see the roster as it sits right now as the roster that has turned the corner, absolutely. Looking at the offensive side of the ball, I mean, the quarterback position, obviously fan favorite Darian Durant off to Montreal in the offseason. 
Riders bring back Kevin Gwen. I guess, first of all, what was your reaction to those changes in the offseason? And then now from what we've seen Ke- from Kevin Gwen so far this season, a guy that's been known as the CFL's best insurance policy, a guy known for playing good but throwing that timely interception all the time. He's had a phenomenal start to the year, and uh, I guess talk a little bit about what you've seen from him. Well, when you, when you look back at the beginning of the year, you mentioned the Darian Durant trade. I think all of us on the podcast were unanimous that it was time for him to move on. We're all Durant fans. We love the guy. We hope him well, but he's not the future of this team. Now, is Kevin Glenn? Obviously not. He's 38 years old, but he's playing right now better than he has throughout his entire career. I mean, he's got a, he's got an exhaustive list of weapons to work with. That receiving core, the presidents, as it were, are to me, the best receiving core right up there with BC. And the the O-line finally with the move to have Derek Dennis inside and Cole, uh, Bruce Campbell on the outside of him. Uh, he's, he's had time the last two weeks or two games to, to actually get the ball off. And it's only getting, it's only improving his game. Uh, take us through the Vernon Adams trade to acquire him. Obviously, last week we talked to Cliffy D from the Owlets Flight Deck who said he hated it from the Montreal perspective. Take us through your Saskatchewan perspective of bringing in this guy in Vernon Adams, young quarterback. Is he the future for Saskatchewan at the quarterback position, or uh, what do you see from him? Absolutely. He's he's the future right now. We've all been on the, the James Franklin train <laughs> since, you know, the offseason. That's that's who everybody was pining after. But there was calls, including for me, in the offseason that as we got closer to look at a trade for Vernon Adams. And obviously Chris Jones was on the same uh, same pattern as he's been apparently working on this trade all year. I love it. We can't go into next year with a 38-year-old starting quarterback. And as good as Brandon Bridge has been in his mop-up time, and he has looked good, he's not under contract at the end of the year. Mm. So at the end of the year, our options were Marquise Williams, who has no history in the CFL outside of preseason, and a 38-year-old Kevin Glenn. So now we've got Vernon Adams, who has shown in his limited time that he can play as an option for next year because he is under contract. Here's a question. Uh, obviously, you know, you've been to Ryder games. You've seen Ryder games on TV. How much fun is it to watch uh, Naaman Roosevelt? Oh, man. The way, the way he's playing this year and last year, it's an absolute joy to watch him play. And, and I mentioned it today. We were just we just actually finished recording, and and uh, I was talking to the other guys, and just seeing that group of receivers, especially him and uh, on Carter, they are they are beyond loose right now. I mean, they're planning choreographed touchdown dances <laughs> like Calgary used to. Like you remember the the bobsled and the and the bicycle and who could forget? You know, yeah, you're not you're only doing that if you're having a good time and enjoying yourself, and that's where they are right now. And when Naaman Roosevelt is relaxed I don't think there's a better receiver in the CFL right now and you know, it's funny you mentioned that we haven't even talked about Chad Owens being in the Ryder lineup at all well yeah he hasn't been he hasn't been in the lineup yet this year might be this week but is, did you expect that when he was acquired in the offseason that he wouldn't really be getting into the lineup no I don't think anybody expected that just because of his name valued, his jersey selling value. You expected to see him on the field. I, I'm i shocked it's taken this long. But once we started to get a few games into the season and we were getting decent enough production from our kick returners, 
there wasn't really a need to bring him back. And I think the only reason he's going to play this week is that we lost Christian Jones uh, to injury this week. So we've got, we've got to bring him back. Cause we don't really have another, you know, proven kick returner. Right. Not that Jones, not that Jones was all that proven, obviously only having a couple of games under his mm-hmm. belt, but he had done enough to, to continue playing. But with him out, I look at Chad Owens. I'm a little excited. He's, He's a fun guy to watch, and obviously he's a great guy for the CFL. We uh, Take us through a matchup this weekend, the Labor Day Classic in Regina. Uh, we've never been to Regina for the Labor Day Classic. We've been to our fair share of Banjo Bowls. I don't know if you've ever been here for the Banjo Bowl. Uh, but what really is the atmosphere like at the Labor Day Classic in Regina? I've, I've actually been to a couple of Banjo Bowls, oh, and I've been to uh, my, my fair share, obviously, of Labor Day games. Labor Day is, I don't know if there's a better atmosphere outside of Grey Cup in the CFL than Labor Day Sunday in Regina. I mean, obviously there's Labor Day games in, in Calgary, Edmonton, and Toronto, Hamilton. Right. But there's just something about Sunday afternoon, riders at Bombers, it, it's CFL at its best. And it's, it's a party from, I mean, we start tailgating at 9 a.m. for a 2 o'clock kickoff <laughs> for, on Labor Day Sunday. Wow. It's just it's just part of to, to us it's really the start of the CFL season. Take us through the matchup uh, between the two teams in this football game. Obviously, for a number of years in a row, it was Riders, 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 Riders on Labor Day. Bombers finally ended the streak last year. These are two football teams that are playing really good right now. How do you see this weekend's game shaping up? If I had to pin it down, it's going to come down exactly like the the home opener game. It's going to be a tight, hard-fought battle right to the end. Um, I, I personally think the Riders are going to come out on top, but it's going to be a great, exciting football game. It's two teams that are playing, like you said, lights out right now. I mean, Winnipeg's on, what, a four-game winning streak? Five-game? Five five. Is, it, is it five? Yeah, I yeah. believe it's five at this point. Yeah, and the Riders are playing as good as they have in the last three years. It's going to be great, and it's two good offenses going head-to-head. I I don't think I've been more excited for a football game over the last years. Yeah, I think this is the most excited I've been coming into Labor Day because I feel like for once we actually stand a chance at winning on Labor Day. <laughs> um, take us through the riders going forward the rest of the season here. Uh, eight games in, ten to go. What do you see? Uh, did this team finally turn a corner? Is this defense going to keep forcing turnovers at this rate? And just uh, where do you see them finishing in the standings? Well, to me, I think it's it's unrealistic to expect them to continue forcing turnovers the way they are. I mean, these last couple of weeks have been insane. I I predicted nine and nine. Right now, they're sitting four and four. They've got five games left against a much weaker Eastern Division. I think I went. I think I might want to take the over on my own standing predictions. I think we're looking at a ten and eight season from the Riders, which if you told me that two day, two games ago, I would have been ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's where we sit right now. Obviously, that's coming off of the high of two blowouts of Western Division rivals. Right. I think Labor, I think Labor Day Sunday is going to be the telling point of the rider season, and and for me the Bombers as well. Hmm. We're going to learn exactly who these two teams are. Two quick questions for you. One is kind of a one-word answer. Uh, I don't want to get put the cart before the horse, but would it be a huge letdown 
to Ryder Nation, should the Riders lose the next two to the Bombers? It, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I would agree with him. I don't think losing two games to your bitter rivals is a letdown, no matter what your record is, Mike. No, I, I'm just wondering, like, because I mean, there was this discussion amongst, you know, Ryder Nation, but we don't win. You know, we're not expected to win. Quite honestly, the last two games, you know, they hadn't won a Western game on the road in in a long, long time till till uh, till last week. And, you know, they were looking at the Bomber games as season-defining game. Now, that being said, I, I present this scenario to you. Um, and it goes along with your 9-9, nine and nine, you know, 10-8 and eight situation. I see a situation based on the way things are going in the West right now where the Riders sneak up and finish third, the Bombers finish second, Calgary finishes first, Edmonton finishes fourth, and BC finishes fifth. Assuming that scenario were to hold, what would the first Bombers-Saskatchewan playoff game since 2007 mean to both these franchises, hypothetically speaking, of course? Oh, my God. It would be it would be a dream come true for, for football fans. I, I mean, we go back to... I was satisfied with the with how that game turned out. Yeah, we were not. Um. <laughs> Apologies for that. Yeah, yeah. no worries. Sorry, not sorry, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I play, uh, it's, it's just something about lining up against the Bombers. It's, it doesn't matter what record we've got, what record you've got. Nine times out of ten, those games are a lot of fun. And I can't imagine how good, given the last couple of years in Saskatchewan, how good a Ryder Bombers playoff game would be, regardless of where it is, and I think it would be very well attended on both sides, that Labor Day atmosphere, which we all love. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, as much as obviously it's huge rivalry, Bomber fans like to rag on the Riders, Ryder fans like to rag on the Bombers. I, I I think this rivalry in the league as a whole is a best when both of these teams are playing good football, and they certainly are now, and we're in for a treat. Uh, the next two weeks as these two teams play each other. Uh, just to wrap things up here, uh, where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media? Uh, to, if you want to follow me specifically, my uh, Twitter handle is at Safimod. That's S-A-F-I-M-O-D. Uh, you can also follow our podcast, which is at PifflesPod. Uh, we also have a website, PifflesPodcast.com. Do, we do a lot of CFL coverage on there. And give us a look on there. Yeah, and I guess uh, on top of that, uh, maybe tell us a little about that charity event you guys just did. Uh, what was it for, and uh, how much money did you raise? Oh, it was a lot of fun. We uh, <laughs> we raised money for Hope's Home in Regina. Uh, it, we threw it together in a month. It actually started, We uh, I rent out with the stadium every year for a touch football game with friends. And after the game, we decided, hey, we should, we should do this for charity. Hmm. And we've been talking with Bakari Grant with the Riders. He's working with Hope's Home. We said, can we, you know, partner with you? And he uh, he was emphatic. He said, absolutely. Um, got 27 people out in about a month uh, to come out. We played a couple hours of touch football at the New Mosaic. Had a, had a fun after party at the brew house and put together $1,500 for uh, Hope's Home. Awesome, awesome. Well, congratulations on uh, raising so much money for such a great cause. 
thank you for joining us here today on the show. Um, hope you enjoy the Labor Day Classic this weekend. I'm assuming you're going to be there at the stadium, correct? Oh, I will be there. Uh, enjoy the game, and uh, thanks again for joining us, and have a wonderful day. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was Steve from the Piffles Podcast out of Saskatchewan joining us here on the Canadian Football Countdown uh, two-hour midseason review. I Special. just I I want to maybe clarify something. Uh, one of my questions uh, maybe didn't come out properly. My question was, and it should have been, how much of a setback would two losses to the Bombers have been, given what happened the last two weeks? And I I. Maybe phrase that question a little bit incorrectly, but that was what I was trying to trying to uh, trying to ask, and uh, I I think that got a bit lost in translation. Uh, I just wanted to clarify that right now. Right on, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that, that, I mean, I'll, I'll answer that. I'll answer my thoughts on well, that question for you, Mike. Maybe sure, a little. Sure, sure. Uh, the setback for the Riders. Uh, they've had two games on a roll here, really, against the Lions, against the uh, Eskimos. They blew the Eskimos out of the water. This team is full-on on a roll. Um, I mean, two straight losses right after that. Depends, I would say, what type of game it is. Of course, two losses against division rivals and your bitter rivals right beside you is going to be a setback either way um, at, because this West division is so tight. Um, but this Riders team, I think they really, they need to start stringing these wins together um, and just keep going the way they've been going in order to, if they want to uh, make, make it to the playoffs this year. Who Who has more pressure this next two games? I think the pressure's on the Bombers. Why? Better record. Played better for the majority of the season, I would say. Um, I think the Riders don't have as much pressure on them. Maybe they have more because they're in the pressure cooker of the CFL, you know, riders, um, whether you want to agree with it or not, are the heart of the CFL in the sense that a large majority of CFL fans reside in Saskatchewan. And I, I think that pressure in itself is definitely on the team. I, I, I think the pressure is on both sides. The West Division's so tight this year that if you don't win, a, if you lose a football game, you're, you're, you're instantly falling behind, right? Whereas in the East Division, you win a football game and you're like jumping up to the top rung of the ladder, basically. Yeah. The West Division, every single loss, every single game is crucial. And for both these teams, the stakes are high, which means we're going to be in for a good football game. Boy, oh boy. I, I did. Listening to Steve talk in that interview about, you know, just this rivalry, I think you could compare it Sunday's game to a college football atmosphere of that of Nebraska or Iowa. That's the comparison I've heard, and I am going to make it on my bucket list one of these years to get out to Regina, maybe next year. Pack up the van, I call shotgun, let's go, Mike. <laughs> What's the, one of these days, one of these years, we'll make the trip down. To we'll make the trip down. Uh, uh, watch the Labor Day. Quite, quite honestly, and I, I think... Ryan, I think you can attest to this. The Bombers have not really given us any reason to make the trip until last year and until this year. We'll take a quick break to reset. Uh, Steve is no longer with us, but we'll take a break. Wow, okay, don't say that. That sounds like he's passed away. <laughs> yeah. Steve is very much alive. <laughs> yeah. He's just no longer on the show with us right now. He's no longer on the line. That's a better way to say that. Uh, we'll take a break. 
Well, take a bit anyway. In the meantime, here's where you can find us. To interact with us on social media, follow us on Twitter at at CFC on Mike FM. Mike can be found at at Mike Garrell, and Ryan can be found at at CooperTrooper42 as well. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash CFC on Mike FM. Want to catch up on old episodes of the show? Find us on SoundCloud and iTunes under the Canadian Football Countdown. And if you'd rather watch the show than listen to the show each week, you can find us on YouTube as well with a video version of every week's episode under the Canadian Football Countdown. Whatever platform you're listening on, we'd love it if you would take a moment to like, comment, subscribe, or follow, and share to help us grow the show. Thank you very much for your support. Now, back to the show. And we're back. 35 minutes left to talk more CFL first half of the season. Get underway. We're back. And Mike's gone off the handle again. (laughs) Well, I'd be a large part to my... Fast beverage, I paint. All right. Anyways, this is not a Kidding. not a talk about uh, about beverages. This Do you is have a any, talk about uh, football. Um, let, let, we need to start moving kind of quickly here because we got a lot of teams to cover here still. Just the closing thought on the Riders. I didn't yeah, really, so we didn't, didn't really, really get anything from you on uh, where they stand. I believe we've turned the corner, and I believe exactly the scenario that I painted to Steve is how it's gonna play out. It's to me the Riders this season have been an up and down roller coaster, whereas the Hamilton Tiger Cats have been a roller coaster, one of those ones where you just drop straight into a pit and never come out. Um, the Riders have been kind of up and down. You know, they started the year three weeks in, they get their first win, which was over the Tie Cats. And I said at that point that if you remember those first two games against the Bombers and the Alouettes, missed field goals. All it took was a missed field goal in each game that they lost by. They very well could have been a 3-0 football team to start this year. Um, they hadn't. They picked up a win over the Argos as well, and obviously two big wins these past two weeks. Uh, let down games, I would say, against Calgary. Um, obviously that one, they came out losing 17-0 in the first half, um, end up 27-10. And then that first game against BC where it, Saskatchewan couldn't have anything right going for them for the large majority of the game. So, but they've played really well in the games they've won. I think the last two weeks they've shown that um, this defense right now is as good as any in the CFL. Um, so I think it's a team that's had a lot of ups and downs. There, some of the losses, some of those road, they struggled greatly on the road against West teams. But then this week they went into Edmonton Commonwealth Stadium, which had over forty-one thousand people there. Is not an easy easy stadium to play in in the least bit. So props to the Riders for that. I think they've this is another piece of their up and down season. And I think the we've gotten through most of the down parts because I think this team is now on the rise uh, if they can keep going the way they are these last couple weeks. Yeah, I just I see a scenario. I don't want to get into pits. The Bombers win the season series with a split in the next two games. I think that's how it's going to go I, down. I see this fully being a split between these two teams. These but, are two good football teams. You hardly ever win. You hardly ever sweep a home-and-home home series. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a split between those two I mean, I'd be happily surprised and see no reason why the Bombers can't win the next two. 
But a split is more likely. We'll talk about that a bit more later. Let's get back to the Hamilton Tiger Cats and finish things off there because we kind of started talking about that. We talked about all the drama they've gone through this week. Um, another piece of that, though, 0-8 Tiger Cats, they're playing against Toronto this weekend. Is that game at home or on the road? For what? Tiger Cats against the Argos. Home. Is it, it's in Hamilton? It's the football day in Hamilton. Um, Jeremiah Mazzoli announced starting quarterback for the Tiger Cats this week. And it looks like going forward. Do you like the move? Do you not like the move? Should they have stuck with Zach Kolaros? Or is this a good idea to give Mazzoli the ball? It's what have you done to lose at 0-8? Your season basically done. they got to run the table just to get to 500. What have you done to lose? But at the same sense... Well, and I was listening... If he goes 2-2 two two in the four games... How did not justify what Mazzoli's demand went forward? Well, and I listened to, I, I thought it was an interesting take because I was listening to the uh, the Bombers pregame show this past uh, this past week uh, while I was going out for my Grey Cup fit-up walk, actually, which everyone should be doing right now. Go get your 30 minutes of exercise in. Um, and the Bob Irving had a bit of an interview with Drew Edwards out of Hamilton talking about the quarterback situation there. And one of the things I thought, which was a really interesting, um, I thought it was really interesting take on this whole Mazzoli versus Caleros thing, was that Caleros is under contract, a big contract for next season. Jeremiah Mazzoli is not. So by putting Mazzoli in, you, like, when your team is 0-8, okay, you start trying to audition guys, see who's your future quarterback. Well, the guy you're auditioning right now isn't under contract for next year. The guy you're putting on the bench is, and you need to kind of figure out, okay, is he still worth those that big amount of money we're paying him? So from that standpoint, to me, it makes more sense to go with Zach Kouros in the lineup. However, from the play on the field, I, I, I like this. It's time to put Jeremiah Mazzoli in there. And I think, and you and I talked about this this week, Mike, and I believe you agree with me, correct, that... The reason Mazzoli is in the lineup is because the Ticats have a new coach in June Jones, and he wants to make his mark on this offense. If Kent Austin was still coaching this team, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Caleros was still the starting quarterback this week. I think this is Jones trying to take over the offense, make his mark on it. He likes what he sees from Mazzoli, uh, and so he's in the lineup this week. Scary proposition for Zach Caleros. What remains to be seen, yeah, for him. Um I think Mazzoli's going to do well. I've always been a bit of a fan of his. I've liked what I've seen from him. Obviously didn't like what I saw from him in that one game in Winnipeg last year where he threw the interception right away and the Bombers just gave them a nightmare and steamrolled them. Was that the game where it was 21 nothing in the first quarter? Yeah, that the was the game that took like three hours to start due to the rain delay. Um, so I don't know. Do you think this turns anything around for the Ticats, the quarterback change, or even the coaching change? Uh, do things turn around at all in the second half? Or uh, strictly from the on-play perspective, or does does the sink continue? Pardon me? Strictly from the play on oh, the field? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I understand now what you meant. Uh, if Hamilton can win four games down the stretch, I know that seems like a lot based on what they've done. I realistically can't see them going any better than four and fourteen, five and thirteen, at worst six and twelve. But 
Yeah, probably. The playoffs are a four-night inclusion. And just get into the Mazzoli thing for a minute. Mazzoli is not under contract next year. I don't blame Hamilton for seeing what they have in him. To even see if, if you can of, sign him to a contract or if he's even worth a sign and trade. Like, what have you got to lose? You're not the guy on your roster now. Honestly, I've liked what I've seen in the last year and a half a lot more from Jeremiah Mazzoli than Zach Talaros. <sighs> boy, oh boy, that's a lofty salary to be paying a quarterback, but hasn't it that reproduced? Let's move to another team in the East Division here because we've got yep. three more to go and we've got some other stuff we want to do yet. So about five minutes per team, I'd say, here at Mike. Yeah, that's uh, fine. Montreal Alouettes, take me through what you've seen from them so far this season. Up and down, up and down, but more positive than good. I'm oh, sorry, more positive than that. <laughs> more positive yeah. than good. More positive than negative. I think they can get their offense figuring out a little bit more. And, I mean, I, I thought about this uh, very, very interestingly, and that was the fact that, you know, what's the name? Darian Durant. Yeah. It takes a while to settle in for a new, to a new role, to a new offensive coordinator, to a new system. Interesting. I wonder if now he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable David at the Bomber showed a lot more things than I thought he had. Well, Kate, so I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Um, two games against the Bombers, no complaints really with the Montreal offense. I think they've done great. I think those games were highly competitive. And uh, as a bomb, from the Bombers standpoint, I'm happy they don't have to play Montreal again this year. Uh, but you're, you're, you're forgetting the fact that just two weeks ago, Darian Durant threw for under 100 yards his worst game of his career and the the Alouettes got steamrolled by the Argos. That was the name all the way around, but I don't even hang on Darian Durant. They couldn't stop anything that day. So, to me, this is a football team. I think, personally, from what I've seen mm-hmm. from them this year, I, I, I still think they're, they're an average football team. And to me, there's almost more negatives than there is positives. To me, to me this is the team missing the playoffs. Yeah, I would fully agree with you just based on what Sorry I've seen. Sorry for being blunt, but Ottawa seems to have turned the corner. That's what we were predicting all season long, all of those close games for the Red Blacks. I'm interested to see if this is a huge matchup right now, Ottawa-Montreal they this week. They play tomorrow night, right? Yes. Yep, Thursday night, Ottawa-Montreal. Um, this is a huge game for those two teams. I think it's something that... Montreal needs to come out this game and on top of their strong performance against the Bombers because they've not had two strong games against the Bombers, but they didn't come out victorious. And in the first one, they blew Boy, the game, that, right? That's got to be deflating. It certainly does. So I, I, I need to see a strong performance against the Red Blacks um, this week uh, to maybe have a bit more faith in the Alouettes going forward. That being said, with the way the East Division has shaped up this year, even if I say, you know, I don't have a huge amount of confidence in the football team, you pick up a win or two and all of a sudden you're flying high in the East Division this yeah. year, right? So things can completely change. The Alouettes could uh, could get on a roll here potentially, uh, and it would have to start this week against the uh, Red Blacks. Uh, anything else you have to add on the Alouettes so far this year? How does Noel Forp not have a head coaching date right now? 
No, I, I think next time one opens up, there's there's potential Noel, Noel Thorpe goes there. Um, one thing I do want to actually say about the Alouettes, um, one 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 the CFL midseason awards. You know, me and Mike kind of came up with uh, some so far this season that uh, not not the regular awards CFO gives out, but kind of some that we think would be fun to give out on this show. And one of them was the uh, was the breakout star of the year in the CFL. And while there are many options, um, one guy I really love to see who's broken out, B.J. Cunningham in that Montreal offense. He's had a great start to the year. He's one of the top receivers in the league. Um, everyone figured uh, that it would be Darian Durant throwing the ball to Ernest Jackson this year. And this is something that Cliff E.D. talked about on the show with us last week. Uh, everyone figured it would be a Darian Durant to Ernest Jackson. Uh, but B.J. Cunningham has been the most explosive receiver in that Alouette's offense. And so I th- I... I I think he's uh, been a breakout player this year. Absolutely. I would not argue with that. Uh, again, I, I think there's some defensive players uh, that have also stepped up. Uh, Anthony. That's his name. Now he played middle linebacker last week. Ferreira Ferreira. Sounds about right. Ferrey Ferreira. Anyway. I thought he had a good game despite what he what Duressi was under there last week for the longest time. Uh, there was some parts in that Montreal defense that I like. I wonder if they look at moving Chip Cox at the trade deadline. Guy who's really improved this year to me, and I love seeing him doing well for the Alouettes, kicker position, Boris Bidet. If you remember last year. Bidet. <laughs> great rookie season. Terrible sophomore slump last year to the point where he was replaced a lot of the time um, by, I believe it was Anthony Farah in last year. Um, Bidet back this year kicking, and he's he's having a great season again so far this year. So I love seeing him back playing well. You know, you have these guys that have great rookie seasons. Terrible, you know, the sophomore slump, they call it. He definitely had that. Uh, we saw Liram Harolahu with Toronto have that with the, when he was with the Bombers as well. So it's great to see these guys that started strong, took a step back. Now they're playing strong again. I love to see that. Can I give you one negative? Sure. For Montreal? The Vernon Adams trade. Yeah, I don't agree with that one bit. Um, Drew Willie is the backup quarterback. Who's um, the future quarterback to Montreal? Exactly. The, I don't think they have one right now. Considering they gave up a first to get Vernon Adams originally from BC. Right. Uh, move on. You want Ottawa or you want Toronto next? Sure, Ottawa. Ottawa will talk about the Red Blacks. Um, struggled to start the season. One six and one. Now they've picked up two straight wins. So they're what three six and one now, I believe. Yeah. Um, every wa- almost every loss was very close loss. Just couldn't make the, the bombers. Final plays. The opposite of the bombers. Bombers winning close games. Ottawa losing close games and. Absolutely great way to put it. That and that's why, despite being one six and one at the start of the season, and every week when they piled up a loss, I kept saying this team is still going to finish at the top of the East Division. And I truly meant it when I said that because while they didn't have the wins, it was still a good football team. They were competitive in almost every game they played. Uh, well, in every game they played actually, and had a chance to win. They just fell just short. Now all of a sudden they've picked. They're starting to pick up the wins. They've won two straight here. They beat the Tie Cats, and uh, really the test here, that win over the Lions this past week. Perhaps the Red Blacks are starting to get on a roll here. Huge game against the Alouettes this week. 
And I think that's if they can pull out a win there, you're looking at the the Red Blacks starting to get on a bit of a roll, and I'm pretty sure they're going to end up in a playoff spot at the end of this year. Yeah, I just I wonder what happens if they take a step back tomorrow. And also, I will say the concern for me with the Red Blacks um, this past week, although they did beat BC, was the fact that they jumped out to this outstanding lead and then just let BC come back and almost yeah. pull out the win. That that That's a little concerning to me for a team that struggled to finish football games in close games. This should have never been a close game from the way they started off, and they let it become one. Obviously, they had that huge interception from Jonathan Newsom to seal the game. But that that must have been nerve-wracking for Red Blacks fans, knowing how the games have gone down the stretch or at the end of the game so far this season. Absolutely. Um, what do you see for them coming forward now? Do you see this being a turnaround for them? Do you see yeah. the team on the rise? I need a few more weeks to buy stock of the Ottawa Red Blacks. But there's no reason why they can't be in the top two in the East. Take me through their offense, because obviously they lost some pieces in the offseason. Chris Williams, uh, Ernest Jackson, two pieces of that four wide receiver, 1,000-yard crew that they had for a couple of years. What do you make of the offense so far this year, how it's reshaped? Um, it's still playing pretty well. Clay Dillinson, I'm another 1,000-yard season. Uh, Kenny Shaw injured. He should be, he's out for the season now at this point, actually. Boy, so. oh boy, he would just pass from that injury. Yeah, he, he's been, he's played what, one game this year, two games, and one uh, game, one game, and he's out for the season. So that sucks to see. He was one of those pieces that was brought in to try to replace. Well, they, interestingly enough, I don't know if you saw this, they brought in Kevin Elliott. Right, this week, correct? Yeah. And so we'll see where he slots into that lineup. I think they've had some guys step up there, though. You know, Joshua Stangby, I never really heard too much about him coming into this year. And He's then you've got the quarterback, producer. Brad the former quarterback, Brad Sinopoli. I was going to say quarterback, but yeah, he used to be a quarterback. Uh, most Eastern candidate for most outstanding Canadian, in my eyes, uh, Sinopoli on pace for a 1,000-yard year again this year. Who's the running back in Hamilton? In Hamilton? Well, I mean, Ottawa. Ottawa? Uh, well, it's split between Moses Madu and William Powell. One week, one gets injured, the next comes in. Powell gets back, injures himself. Next week, Madu comes back in. So it's a revolving door. Both of them have done a great job. I do have some concerns for Hamilton. One off. Uh, Ottawa. Ottawa, Michael, Ottawa. Um, I do have some concerns on the offensive line and on the defensive line. I don't know. Kind of same boat with Saskatchewan. Can right. they can they get enough pressure sustained in the fourth quarter? Right, Ottawa gives up a lot of passing yards. In now game. I have this thing where how much of those settled late in the football game or as a result of a defense being on the field for too long and early on in the football game, Bayton did a little more balance in their offense, take some pressure off the defense, they'll be fine. Talk about the Argos here, this last team we have to cover. This was a team coming into this year. I thought this was going to be the worst team in the CFL. I'm openly saying that, that into this year, I, I didn't expect anything from the Argos, really. I was unsure what was going to happen with Ricky Ray. Obviously, in the offseason, they decided, you know what, we're going to go with Ricky Ray again. Um, we know his injury history, and they really didn't have any backup options behind him. And Ray's play, due to the injuries, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. Also defensively for the Argos, I wasn't sure what to expect coming into this year. Who wins MOP? Ashley Green or Ritchie Ray? 
who wins MOP, like for the CFL? Argos. Oh, for the Argos? I think it's Ricky Ray, without a doubt. Both those guys deserve to be their nominees, the way they've played. But the thing is, to me, we saw what happens when Ricky Ray is injured. Yeah. Right? Cody Fajardo, uh, Jeff Matthews. Fajardo looked a little better than Matthews. But this Argos team lives and dies with Ricky Ray. We've been saying that through 10 weeks of the season so far. Um, So he's the Eastern candidate for most outstanding player in my eyes so far this season. No question about it. Ellington would be up there too for Ottawa. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. But, I mean, Ricky Ray, you, this team lives and dies with the way he plays. Yeah, He's been playing phenomenal this year. I, I mean, there should be a new uh, consideration for MLP. And that is with whoever is the nominee, at least from a voter perspective, not necessarily from a criteria, if you take said player away, what's the value to his team? How does this team react, right? If you give me a West nominee. Mike Riley, hands down. If you take Mike Riley away from Edmonton, how did it Edmonton? I don't think they start season 7-0. and If you take away Richie Ray, right? MOP, they're technically the glue that holds the team together in some shape or form. Right, you're Produ- saying the MOP should more be a, be more of an MVP, most valuable player to the team. Is that, it is. It is to an extent. It is and it is. Well, let's be real. Look at the team, the number one team in the but league. But I think they have. To, I think they have to take into consideration how does said team react if said player is not in the lineup. Right, and if Ricky Ray goes down, the Argos, how does that increase the value of said player? The Argos, I mean, without him. I, I don't have confidence in this team if he goes down. If he's in the lineup, I think they can compete with the best of them. We'll see. I mean, I'm fully expecting him to light up the Ticats again this week as he did in I wonder one. if Toronto goes out and gets a quarterback before the end of the year. Just a backup in case he does get injured? or No, I ain't the future quarterback. Hello, Zatalaros. We'll see. Uh, I, I think personally they're more of a team that will make a big push for James Franklin in the offseason is what I see. I see it being a race between the Argos, the Ticats, and the Alouettes to all make pitches. Because you know Edmonton's not going to trade him to a West team. They'll trade his rights somewhere East. What about a Calaros for Franklin swap? That's a conversation for another day. I'll have to think about that one. Planning the seed in your head. Yeah, we'll see in the future. Um, time, Going back to the Ticats and... What's next for Zach Caleros on the way out here? Um, you know, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, you confused me. Your last me. sentence didn't make a lot of sense. Well, whatever. Um, anyways, talking about the Ticats, um, Zach Caleros, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. The way no. he's played so far is what I've been trying to say. If he goes out here, not when he goes out here, I think that's what was confusing about what I just said. Yeah. If all of a sudden Zach Caleros moves on to another team, or it, um, I meant going out of the lineup with Mazzoli coming in is what I'm trying to but, say here. Yeah. Um, Caleros, I don't think is a bad quarterback. I'd still be happy to have him on my team any day, and I think – Is he a Drew Willie? Confidence shattered by virtue of an injury? I don't know if it's confidence. I, I – I, I still believe in him as quarterback more than I did with Drew Willie after he had that step back. Okay. I'll say that. 
Summing up the Argos quickly so far this season, this is a team that still the record doesn't really show it, but I think they clearly have been the best team in the East. Uh, they've shown some competitiveness with the West Division uh, as well. And uh, if Ray and uh, SJ Green are on their game, that defense has looked pretty good a lot of times. Victor Butler has had a heck of a season so far um, on that defensive line, Sean Lemon as well. Um, I think the Argos are a decent football team. I would say that. And uh, Chalk a I'm lot. I'm surprised just touching on the Argos here real quick. How did their defenses? I thought their defense would take a step back. And uh, props to Mark Trestman as coach for what he's done for that team. Oh, uh, boy. Does Mark Trestman get coach of the year in the East? Well, probably. I don't see anyone else who's deserving of it out East right now. Um, it's certainly not Kent Austin, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. want to get into here, because we've got about 10 minutes left. I want to get into kind of wrapping up the first part of the season as a whole. Halfway through, how would you rank these teams? Giving, give us your power rankings. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go through it together. Number one team in the league through the first half of the season. Calgary. In your eyes. Calgary, 100% for me. Um, they've dominated a couple games. They've still looked good. Even even in the games they lost, they were really close. Or the one game they lost, they were really close. Um, number two, right now, I have the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Yep. Uh, Five-game win streak. Ability to win the game down the stretch, no matter what. I'll tell you what. I very, cl I'm very close to having the Bombers at number one. I am very close. I, I still have Calgary at number one. Number three power rankings based on what I've seen recently. I have the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The way, the way they're playing, the way overall. They're if you'd went overall or what you've seen lately. I, I base it kind of based on the first half of the season and how I see that transitioning to down the stretch. I'm Edmonton. I, I have the riders at three Edmonton at four, uh, simply right now, just based yeah, on the way they've played in recent weeks. I think the Eskimos, they have two really tough matchups against Stampeders the next two weeks. I think they're on a bit of a downward trend, whereas the, uh, the riders are on an upward trend. Uh, number five, I have the Ottawa red blacks right now. Uh, I have I, Toronto. Ottawa, Toronto. Ottawa, Toronto, BC, some combination. Yeah, something like that, right? Those Mumble, three teams are kind muddle, of old. muddle for bottle. Sure, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> uh, the Lions, I think, are on a downward trend. The Argos, as long as Ray is healthy, I think are at a steady mid-pack team. And then I don't know if I want to make too much of the BC Lions slump of late. It's three in a row. They haven't had a bye. Let's see how they react out of the bye. And then, uh, and then uh, at the bottom there, I would have the Montreal Alouettes at number eight. At the number at number nine, I would have the Edmonton Eskimos injured reserve. And then <laughs> all the way underneath that, that's where I would have the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, although award for most drama stories of the year might go to Hamilton. I have never seen a team on a bye week make more news than all of the other teams that played combined. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that pretty much sums it up, right? Yeah, especially uh, especially before the other teams play. One thing I will say, just briefly, before I forget, because I know I'm going to forget, Banjo Bowl sold out. Right. Congratulations, Winnipeg. Looking forward to that one. We'll be there. Sh Shot top performers. All three from August 
are blue bombers. Andrew Harris, Matt Nichols, and Mo Lightit. Which is really impressive. Rapid fire here. I mentioned that we came up with these little awards. Yep. Breakout player of the year in your eyes so far in the CFL. Cunningham. Cunningham. I would uh, I would say Duke Williams is breakout player of the year so far. Um, Alex Singleton on that Calgary defense, second year in the league. He was great in his first year. But uh, I was hearing today, you know, he he com- like he commands that defense. He's in charge of the defense in Calgary. Uh, he's having a phenomenal year so far. So I would say him, uh, possibly out there as well. Most consistent player in the CFL through the first half of the season. Oh boy, Matt Nichols. Matt Nichols consistently uh, threw his first interception in uh, I think 160 passes this yeah, week. The one bat- it was on a long bomb, right? Yeah. Like it was a hail mary to end the half. I don't count that. Um, but unfortunately on the stats sheet, it does most consistent player to me, I would say actually Solomon Elamimian from the BC Lions. Oh yeah. Defensively. This is a team that has struggled at different points this year defensively, but he still leads the league in tackles by a large margin. Can I put Kevin Lund on that list too? Sure. I don't think that's the list we ever expected to put him on. Because I mean, yeah, he had no one bad game, but. Maybe put Nick Lewis on there. By the way, congratulations oh to goodness. Nick Lewis. By the way, congratulations to Dylan Rutter, buddy. This week. The one downer? Nobody was at the presentation, but nobody knew what didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That was a real downer. Uh, most clutch player. Game on the line. Who do you trust the most in a, any situation possible, whether you're on offense, defense, special teams, most clutch player in the CFL through the first 10 weeks of the season. The driver probably won't be in the lineup this week, T.J. Thorpe. Of the whole, whole CFL, you th- think T.J. Thorpe is yep. most clutch player? T.J. Thorpe, Darwin Adams, it's a tie for me. Me? Matt Nichols of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All of these late comebacks, these late drives the Bombers pull off, they start and end with Matt Nichols the way he's played. He has been absolutely clutch in those moments. Um, to me, he's the most clutch player in the CFL right now because no matter how uh, down the stretch of the game, he gets it done. Two more to go. It's the year of the catch, they call it, in the CFL. Catch of the year, we've seen so many. What is the number one grab you've seen so far? The, this bur- year? the Burnham grab. The one, uh, which one? <laughs> then the Bombers. Again, which one? Was that the... Uh, the one in BC. I would say it was the one he had in the end zone. Um uh, I believe that one was against the Thai Cats. Receiver oh, all over him. That was a great catch. I mean, there's so many to choose from. S.J. Green this couple weeks ago had a couple against the uh, Alouettes. That one was ridiculous. Ricky Ray threw it on a dime. There are so many good catches this year, it's hard to choose one. Game of the year from what we've seen so far. I think we have a bit of a disagreement on this, although it's a bit close. Your game. Of the one year. is a homer game, so... Kind of. The bomber combat against B, uh, Montreal. I would throw the bomber game against BC. Which which uh, bomber game was it? The first one, right? So like the massive comeback against Montreal. Because this game this week was pretty darn good as well. I will say that. My, yeah, the first my one. Thought, my, personally, those two are definitely up there with me. I also have to throw into the ring week two, Ottawa-Calgary. Ottawa, um, this was There's a, another one but went to overtime. Well, this one didn't go to overtime, so the first one game ended up tied between them. Week two, though, between these two teams, had 
absolutely everything in it. You had blocked punts. You had punt return for a touchdown was from that both the sides. Tie? No, that was the first game of the season. This one, Calgary won 43-39. You had two punt returns for a touchdown, right. one from each side. I think you had a blocked punt. You had like a blocked field goal. Um, you had Andrew Buckley run a 70-yard touchdown. This was the Grey Cup rematch was in week one. Those teams tied. This was a very hyped-up game between these two teams coming into week two, and I think they delivered because it was a game that had everything. So that, for me, challenges that Bomber-Montreal game for game of the year. Quickly, Mike, very quickly, our picks for this week's game. Uh, we'll start it off Thursday night, Alouettes and Ottawa Red Blacks. Close, but Ottawa. I pick Ottawa as well. I like the way that team is trending lately. I think they're a team on the rise, uh, so I'm taking the Red Blacks to win that one as well. Labor Day in Regina, new Mosaic Stadium, Bombers and Riders. 38-34 Saskatchewan. I am going to take the Riders to win this game as well. I say this, it will come down to which team forces the most turnovers in this game. Who do I think actually that will be? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Both of these defense are ball hawks. Both of them force a lot of turnovers. But look at the quarterback position. How many interceptions does Matt Nichols throw? Not many. Kevin Glenn throughout his career, known for no matter how good so he plays. So it sounds like you're changing your pit right now. No matter how much he throws uh, and plays well, Kevin Glenn still occasionally throw those interceptions. So do I think the Bombers win based on that? Yes. But the thing is, this is a home-and-home home series between mm. these two teams. They're going to split them. I can almost guarantee that I will be shocked if one team wins two. If I had to pick one of the two games, the Labor Day Classic first Banjo Bowl that I think the Bombers would lose, it's the one in Labor Day because Regina uh, is loud and Saskatchewan plays pretty good at home. So I'm taking the Riders to win a close game. Can I just back up on something? Very quickly because we have two minutes. The Bombers can execute the cheetah offenses that they called it now or one. I don't know if those rider linebackers can match that. We're in for an interesting game. Close uh, game. I, I two games on Monday, Battle of Alberta, Calgary-Edmonton. I'm taking Calgary to win this game. Um, just simply um, the injuries for Edmonton are a concern for me, and Calgary is the best team in the league in my eyes. So I'm taking Epic Calgary. instant classic. Whenever these two teams get together, Calgary pulls it off because they never lose at home. Uh, and then Hamilton and Toronto. This is a game for me that I find this interesting. Do you want to step in the trap, Ryan? Or So... I'll take Toronto to win this game based on because the Ticats are still releasing guys, uh, you know, that I think they're going to have some more holes in their lineup. But it's interesting to me with all of the crazy things that have gone on in Hamilton this week, it's almost like the pressure is now off the players and on to everyone else in Hamilton because while everyone else has been in the media, the players haven't been. And new quarterback in Jeremiah Mazzoli, I'm interested to see what he can do, but I'm taking Toronto. I go back. To what Steve told us in our number two at the beginning of the show, I'm going Hamilton. All right, and we'll you see. You never know what the records are. It's a clean slate for Hamilton. We'll see if they can pick up their first win. That's it. Two-hour mid-season review special here uh, on the Canadian Football Countdown. We'd like to once again thank our guests from earlier in the show, Ed Tate, and as well as uh, Steve from the Piffles Podcast in Saskatchewan. Uh, for joining us to talk Bombers and Riders they play this weekend. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday again, 8 to 9 p.m., one hour. Uh, Canadian Football Countdown. We'll be back for Michael Garrell. I'm Ryan Coop saying have a good night and Grey Cup fit up.